So I'm taking about six weeks to deal with unforgiveness. And I started this last week, and before you get squirmy and wormy and uh, Luke 17 tells it, We said it all last week about we're going to cover areas because it's important because here's the deal that you don't, you don't, I want you to hear from the perspective, not only of, of what I have to say, but I want you to hear from the perspective of what the word of God says. And we have to deal with it and we're going to deal with it. And we're going to deal with it in, in small matters. Last week we dealt with it. What happens when someone offends us and truly repents? And we have no choice, but we do have a choice. But we found out the Esau syndrome. But there are two choices. You're commanded to forgive them if they repent. Now, we're going to get into what happens if they don't repent. And we're going to get into what happens if they die before they repent. And we're going to get into that. So I'm not going to plow my way through anything. You're paying me by the hour and I need a raise today. So we're going to take our time with this. It's going to be a little entertaining here a little bit. But, but remember what I said last week, the disciples, Luke 17, Jesus giving this, is this lecture in Matthew 18, he gave the lecture and he said, and Peter said, so, so here's the deal. What's the scoop here? If my brother offends me seven times, do I forgive him seven times? Jesus said, seven, you forgive me 70 times. And, and this is what they said. They used the word in the Greek called prototemy. It means you're going to have to increase our faith. If you are a charismatic follower, you, you have run this scripture in the ground about increasing faith and moving mountains. It has nothing, nothing to do with prosperity or, or, or getting rid of poverty in your life. It has everything to do with the mountain of unforgiveness because what began in a small dirt pile, somebody turned it into a mountain. And so we dealt with the sycamine tree last week. But this is what they said. You're going to have to help my unbelief. You're going to help. You're going to have to increase our faith with this. That's what he says. It's only used once to increase the faith. Why would they say to increase our faith? Because watch this. The hardest thing we will ever deal with in this life that we need more faith. You don't need more faith to get a better car, a better house, a better job or a better husband. I mean, you might do some more checking out on that. But the greatest amount of faith you will ever need in this Christian life period biblically is dealing with unforgiveness. And don't you slot me off either this morning. Forget about prosperity. Forget about big things, anything. Forget about that stuff. They come to this place where he's dealing with unforgiveness. Things have happened. And Jesus said, you're going to have to, every time they repent, you're going to have to forgive them. And this is what they said. Then we, we are going to need some help. And this is what I'm telling you. You do not need to go to Dr. Phil and Sister Oprah and more Pofages. And I think he's dead. What we've got to do to increase your faith to a place where you can learn to forgive as God commands us to forgive is that you're going to spend time praying because you'll seek every bovine and equine and you know what run around the world before you'll spend time praying before God. And this is what they said. You're going to have to increase our faith. And they prayed. So I found out through the years that there's no easy answer. We've all been hurt and we're going to talk about it. And I told Darren for a church, this young man, if you don't know it, Darren, stand to your feet. This young man, the age 13, his mother, they all, they all went to Crystal Rock. A guy walked into a flower shop, laid his mother on the ground, put a bull in the back of her head and killed her, murdered her. What do you do with that? 
What do you do with that, folks? Oh, somebody stuck their tongue after you. Oh, wow, that is. Are you okay? So we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna deal with this. What, what, what do we do when people commit crimes and, and they never repent? We're going to deal with it. What happens if somebody hurts your feelings and never repent? I'm going to deal with it. Not today. What happens if somebody hurts you and do something wrong and they die? What do we do that? We're going to have to do something with it. We can't keep pushing it off because we're creating a mountain out of this. So today, with great smiles, and next week you may want to stay home, but today we're still dealing with people genuinely repenting. And there's five words in the Greek for repentance, so we're going to get with that too. Not today. But what happens if a Christian brother comes against you and they say or do something wrong or dumb? Not that you would ever do that. This section, they're capable of doing anything, but I know y'all would not. But, and they truly say, we're sorry. We spoke out of turn. We said out of turn. I don't normally act like that way. Would you please forgive me? And you're commanded to forgive them. Period. You have no choice. You do have a choice. Remember what we said about Hebrews 12, the Esau syndrome. If you don't forgive, you lose your blessing of the birthright. So God told him, protect the birthright. He said, I don't care what God said. I want to feed my stomach. I'll take a bowl of porridge of lentil soup and forget what God said about protecting the birthright. And he did. And the Bible said we let last week. And God says, don't fall into the syndrome of Esau. Where because of you will not obey God to deal with unforgiveness with people because you'll wind up in the Esau syndrome. You'll lose your blessing of the birthright. Tears or no tears. So the reason why we're pretty solemn with this conversation is because I've had a lot of people ask me about this in the last two months. So here we go. Don't ask me about tithing because we'll be here for like a year. I don't ever talk about it, but I know a lot about it. Warning signs, the keys of unforgiveness, the warning signs. Here's warning signs, the warning signs. Here's one. I got three. Number one, please do not feed bears, no matter what the bear tells you. It's an actual sign. So you, you can obey the sign or you can wind up at Lake Murray, your car looking like this. Oh, watch one chocolate donut. He's so he's a quadruped and he's so he's so smiley. Look at his teeth. The next one. Here's the sign. Shark sighted today. Enter water at your own risk. That's that's a pretty good sign. But you know how some people south of Wilson, they're not going to read it. This is what happens. We get an arm taken off. But there was a sign there. Was there not a sign there? Here's the last one. Here's one. Kenny, you'll appreciate this one. Kenny was a state. He was a late, late Christian up in New Jersey or wherever he came from. Yeah, he's. But here's the problem with this. That's why his hair sticks up. It's a permanent gel. So there's signs. The government has and the state has a responsibility to produce signs before accidents happens. We read these signs and we follow these signs to keep our safety and our sanity. So here we go. Luke 17 and verse one. Watch this. 
This was about 10 days before he's about to be crucified. So then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that offenses will come, but woe to them that offenses will come. What did he say? I'm going to tell you straight up, boys. It's impossible for you to think that offenses will not come your way. Matter of fact, I wrote this in the lexicon. It is unrealistic to think that offenses will not come your way. For any of you people that think that you can live in a Christian life and never be offended or people will not offend you, you have no idea the, what you're thinking. They will come. And Jesus just, he just put it straight out there. You're going to hurt one another's feelings, and they did. You're going to hurt my feelings and disappoint me, and they did. We are all mortal human beings, but we have one thing, hopefully this morning, that the love of God and the, by the blood of Christ lives in us, and we are learning to, to overcome challenges. But here's your sign. Luke 17 and 1, here is your sign. Offenses are going to come your way. And if God wants to bless you, he'll send that person. But if Satan wants to hinder you, he'll send them the person. So you might as well just buckle up, buttercup, because someone's going to hurt your feelings. Someone's going to say something. Someone's going to do something, even in the church body, even that someone's close to you that's absolutely going to hurt you deep down. And he said, it's impossible. It's even unrealistic to think that offenses will not come your way. There's your sign. So let's explain the word offense for you that are new in the church. Like 25 years. Offenses. Scandalia is the word. The New American Standard Bible, if you have one, it calls it stumbling blocks. He said it's unrealistic to think that, that you won't have stumbling blocks in your way. His word, in the English word we get for scandal, the word scandal means to be caught in a trap. It was a scandal. They got caught. They might have had an affair at work, but it wasn't a scandal till they got caught. Is this microphone on? I guess it is. Yeah. The word scandal means to be caught in a trap. Here's your sign. Let's put it in English. Make no mistake about it. It's impossible for you to think you can go through your Christian life and not ever face or be encountered with traps in your life. Scandalon is a word that means, by the time the, the lexicon writers got it, it means things, person, places, or things that will cause people to sin. So here's your sign. Offenses means things that people do, especially in the church, the Christian community, that will say or do something to you to trap you, to lock you up. The Old Testament uses the word snare. So you've seen me do this demonstration. You take a cardboard box and you take a stick and you take a rope. You prop the cardboard box with a stick. You stick something underneath it. And when a mouse comes by, you put cheese in it. A mouse comes by, you, you pull the stick and catch it in. If you're trapping for dogs, you put a bone in there and the bone draws the dog and you pull the stick in the box. If you want to catch a cat, I don't know why people want to catch a cat. So forget that. So, so the idea that you took the bait you took the bait. And remember we talked about Mark 4? You are offended or trapped. Watch this. For the word's sake. How does Christians get trapped? By the word of God. 
because we have a preconceived idea of something that God never intended for that to be the idea at all. And you get trapped. So Jesus is, is posting this huge sign in Luke 17, 1. He said, here's your sign. Offenses and traps and snares are set everywhere for you to hinder you of forward progress in the things of God. Don't be fooled by it. Unforgiveness is that trap. Luke 17 and 1 deals with unforgiveness. We've all been hurt. We've all been lied about. We've all been falsely accused. Linda Ronstadt had it right. I've been lied to, cheated, and all these things. When will I be loved? I guess when we get to eternity. I don't know. But unforgiveness is a trap in your life. A divorce, a premature death, division in the church, emotions get out of control, something says, somebody does something, and before you know it, boom, you're caught. You're snared. And you can't get out of it. So unforgiveness is a trap, and that is a fact, Jack. So last week, we talked about if somebody hurts you, and they're going to, they're going to, and they may not do it intentionally, but they're going to. So if they truly repent to you, then you have to forgive them. Now, one of our human reactions, especially as Christians, is when something happens is to ask God why. And why did this happen to me? Especially, God, if you're on watch and on guard of my life. So if something has happened to you and someone has hurt you in, in, a, in a variety of ways, Maybe they accuse you of stealing money. Maybe they accuse you of this. Maybe they did this. Maybe they slammed the door and said, I don't love you anymore. There's a variety of ways. What they promised at the altar, they didn't fulfill at the, at the home. I understand. But, but we're dealing with it. And, and I want you to hear me loud and clear. Like, I've been here a long time. Like, I've been here a long time. I really want you to be free because I like you when you're smiling more than frowning. I don't like to see any Christian caged up and unforgiveness is a trap. And the word hypocrite is not a bad word because hypocritus, it means that I'm putting on a smiley face, but I'm really inside. I'm hurting bad. So let's just take off the mask and, and let's just deal with it. Let's just be real with it. So we as humans, when things happen, the first thing we're going to say, and we, we do, but we say we, and God even allows us and wants us and permits us to ask why. Remember Isaiah 1, come, let's reason together. Let's sit down, let's reason. Remember, remember the, the, the parable in, in, about the stewards? The last one said, well, everybody knows that you're, you're an ogre of a man. Everybody knows you're a brute. Everybody knows that you're, you're harsh and that's why they didn't come to you. That's baloney. He's a loving God. He's merciful. He's all giving. He wants to have intelligent conversations with us, but it's always a one-way street, usually. So it's okay to ask God why, but the, 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 the deal is, is there's nothing wrong and God permits us to ask why if the why is in the right motive or the right manner. So case in point, I tell Gail, I said, I'm, I'm going to mow the lawn today. I got to go mow the lawn today. It's, it's knee high. I got to go mow it. So she comes home at the end of the day and she goes, why is it the lawn mowed? And still knee high. 
And she's asking out of a question of concern. When she says, why don't you get the lawnmower? Are you okay? Did you have a heat stroke? Did somebody come by and want you right on the wall? I mean, what happened? Are you all right? Did the lawnmower break down? Are you out of gas? See, but if she says like this, why didn't you get the lawnmower? Now it's an accusation to insult. See, there's nothing wrong with asking God why. But it's the manner and the motive you ask him why. And I'm going to highly recommend, here's your sign, don't ask him in, in point number B, please. Because we have references of earthquakes and barbecues that happen all the time in the Old Testament. So don't do that. But God, I don't understand. Why did this happen? I don't understand. Could you help me understand? Could you help my unbelief? Could you help me increase my faith? Because I don't understand. And here's the deal. You can't, you can't control other people. You do well take care of your own self. I cannot control other people. But sometimes it's okay for me to ask God why. Why did this allow to happen? And when you understand that question, then you'll understand why Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's a big pill to swallow. You know why he could say that? And don't tell me because he's going to save everybody in humanity. Please don't insult my intelligence. If you come from a good old Baptist church, I understand. But I'm going to tell you why Jesus said forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, because this is what he meant by this. If it wasn't for their anger, if it wasn't for their hate, if it wasn't for the rebellion against you, I would never be go to, go to the cross. I would never be suffered on the cross and I would never be wounded on the cross. I would never shed my blood on the cross. I would never be buried in the tomb for three days and I would never be resurrected. They don't know what they're doing, but you are making them do something that is out of their control. Because if everybody at that day loved him, they never would have crucified him. How can Jesus say that? Are y'all listening to me? You want your money back? You can't have it. You ought to be thanking somebody that is rebelling against God towards you. Resistance builds muscles. And Jesus said, Father, if it wasn't for their wickedness and their stubbornness and, and their, their infidelity towards you, even though that it's not my first choice, but it's not my will, but it's your will, but it's because of their hatred towards you, it will catapult me to a resurrection. Some of you surround your people that you, all you want them to tell you how wonderful and lovely you are, but that doesn't really move you into another dimension of where God wants you to go. And I look back 35 years ago and I say, God, boy, at the moment, I really want to choke Sister Bucketmouth that day. <laughs> Sister Sandpaper, Brother Bucketmouth. Oh, I want to kill him. Oh, I want to kill him. I want to kill him. But you don't know the truth. I am who I am now because of the rebellion against God. It made me become something that God always intended for me to become. It just took that. And now I look back and I say, God, forgive them on my behalf 
Because if it wasn't for their anger and their wickedness and their hatred and their division and their jealousy, it never would have pushed me to get into your word and be the man that I'm supposed to be in you. At the moment I cried, at the time I heard, I filled out resignation papers because I really thought that we should all get along. But I figured this out. Can we all get along? No, we're not all going to get along. As long as we pursue God and the holiness of God, I'm telling you, these things that happen to us, then you'll reach that point of saying, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, but what they're doing, they are a servant to you to help get me on the cross in a wicked tomb and on the third day, resurrection power. You are what you are today because someone hurt you. And you didn't fold like a bad lawn chair. You are not the victim. You are the victor. Ooh. Yeah, come on Wednesday night. We'll talk about some stuff like this. So we found out last week, unforgiveness is the old sin. The big eye in the middle. Big eye in the middle. Oh, I was hurt. I was wounded. I was violated. I know. Big eye. So you're going to say to yourself, so what's the big stinking deal about sin if it's my life? Unforgiveness is a sin. So for you that wasn't here last week, Ron, if you'll get somebody to help you, I, I want to give you a great visual illustration because I, I think you like visual aids more than you like sermons. Unforgiveness is a sin. Now, we know 1 John 1 and 7 is the original sin, S-I-N, and 1 John 1 and 9 is sins with a plural. It means everyday stuff. If we walk in the light and have fellowship with the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all S-I-N. There's only one that will send you to hell, and this is it. Not accepting Christ as your Savior. That's sin. But two verses later, we accumulate sins along the way. But they're not having a hell issue. They're just issues that hinder us and trap us. So if I'm telling you this morning that, that unforgiveness is a sin, and it is a sin, then you're going to say, then, then what's the big stinking deal about that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you, gentlemen. Oh, baby. So, dealing with believers. Now, here's the deal. If, if people are not saved, I encourage you, go, go to the latest best-selling author and get you some information. You're going to need all the help you can get. I encourage you to go to the liquor store. You're going to need something if you don't have God. Just go somewhere. <clears throat> if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're not going to trust God, then I encourage you to just do something because you're, you're on the road anyway, so you might as well just help yourself along. And I know you'd never hear that from the pulpit, but you'll hear from me. God's will. God's will. Now, we know that God's will and God's word is basically the same thing. We know that. So sin is the word hamartia. And hamartia in the Greek is an archery term that was used back then for target practice. And it was called to miss the target, to miss the mark. Ron said he had this bow when he was in Boy Scouts when he was 13. It was signed by Pocahontas, I think, or Geronimo, I think it was. So, if, if as Christians, we must be intentuous 
to hit the bullseye of God's target. Now, Romans 12 says, 12 says that you may know what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will. Now, if you've been here very long, I've explained all three of these in the Greek. There's a difference. You can be in the will of God, but there's a difference between being good, agathos, and being acceptable. It's like a uh, eurystios, and then the perfect. It's a grown man. There, there are different layers in the will of God. One is a baby, one is about five years old, and one's a grown man, growing and maturing. But it's still the will of God. When I grew up, I heard things like, well, there's a difference between being the permissible will of God and the perfect will of God. Once again, they didn't know what they were talking about. Okay, that's just the way it is. So I'm taking the time to explain things to you. I want to clear up the mud in your life, if that's possible. So would you agree that as far as me, it's, it's my objective to hit the word of God and the will of God every day? Every day. Would you agree with that? The word hamatia means to miss the mark. So, so from right here, look at there. Thank you for that rousing applause. Thank you. No, that's okay. It's okay. I haven't shot a bow since I was 12. It's okay. Now, my wife is in then, but we're not going to talk about that. So, so now then, how, how, many, how many believes at that range? I can hit the will of God. I mean, we're, we're out in the perfect will of God. So I need a volunteer. I need someone that's really kind of challenged. Come on, Ron. Uh, yeah, come on, buddy. So at this range, being close to the will of God, Ron, would you please stand right there? Yeah. Okay. Come right here, Ron. Ron, right there. Just, just hold it right there. Hold it steady. I've got to hit the will of God. You're a helper. So even with him holding, now back then they didn't have trees like we have, so they had people holding the target up. Okay. So once again, I've got to hit the will of God. I've got to hit the will of God. So now that I have someone that's helping me, that now then that, that, that I have someone that's associated their life with me as Christians, it's not just by myself anymore. So now then, while Ron is there, no, get back up there. Oh, you little faith, get back up there. Donna, is the insurance good? We good? We paid up? Everything good? All right, she's good. Hold that thing. So now then, look at there. Even with him there. So how many knows and trust me by now that at that range that, that I can hit the will of God every time? So it's pretty good. Would you say that I'm pretty good at it? You trust me? Yeah. It's good. Take it. <laughs> Keep going. Keep it going. Right in, right in there. Right, right in there. <laughs> a little higher, please. Not a little higher. A little over this way. Okay, hold, hold it right there. Hold still. How many trust me now? Oh, wait a minute. You were so confident a while ago. Did you notice that the closer I was to the will of God, the less I was to sin? 
And the further that I get away from the will of God and the word of God, it's amazing that the chances of me sinning or missing the mark increases dramatically. Is God's will still in this room? Yes. But what's happened is we have separated ourselves so much from God. Now then, here's the problem. With sinning, I'll, I'll disarm. With sinning, if it was just about me, it wasn't a big deal. But when I sin, when there's a room full of people, the error will miss the mark, and I'm afraid that it'll hit Ron. Not that Ron, that Ron. Somebody say, oh, well, it's my life. Well, I know that knucklehead, but you're surrounded by people. You're surrounded by toddlers. You're surrounded by people that are watching you. You're surrounded by people that are looking for information and wisdom and all these things. And when you get so far from the will of God and the word of God, now you start operating on your own and what's your own thought process and your own thinking. And, then, and, 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 you know, they deserve to be hated and they deserve all this stuff. I understand. But that's not what the word of God says. So now you're just shooting errors. And before long, you're hitting that section and you're hitting that section and you're hitting those people and you're throwing errors everywhere because you're trying to do this on your own and your own logic and your own reasoning and you're killing people around you. You're murdering them and maiming them because you are not hitting the word and the will of God. Amen. Amen. My job, my job is to get you back right square in front of the will and the word of God and you will hit it every time. And sometimes the honesty that is this, here's the deal. I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Everybody in nine worlds is telling me what to do, but every one of them is wrong. God, I've got to bring the will of God and the word of God back to the foremost of my life. That way that I will never sin against you or injure someone else around me. That's what it means to miss the mark. Thank you, Ron. We had band-aids ready just in case. Mm -hmm. So when we sin, does it just affect us? The answer is no. There's a whole lot through the years that I wish I could unwind and redo. But I can't live in, in the past. 30 years ago, raising the kids and a lot of things I wish I could undo. Can't do it. Just can't do it. Demands of church people. I'm not saying you, but when we first started, there's a lot of, lot of witchcraft going on and manipulation, and it's okay. But like I said, I, I'm the man that I am now. And some of you, when you get around me, you think I'm a, little, I'm a little rough and tough. I'm really not. But when it comes to God's word here in this church house, we're going to do exactly what the word of God says, and we're not going to do it at all. And if we don't know what it says to the fullest, then we're going to find out and we're going to get it right. So the closer we get the word of God and the will of God to our life, the closer we get, it is amazing that we quit sinning. And if it's questionable, we quit it. Because it is, it is possible that every once in a while that, that God will let us wander so far away that we look in the mirror and we say, as the man that was in the tombs that cried all night long, the reason why he cried, Legion, the demonic man, he said, because I become someone I thought I would never become. I have a wife and kids at home, but I live my life in, in, in a graveyard and tombstone. And all a cemetery is, is this. 
it's bodies where there's no spirit or life in them. And we, 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 we go home to places and things where it's the way that the children looks at us and the way that our, our wife does not. We've killed everything around us. There's bodies there. There's no life. There's, oh, there's bodies there. There's no joy. But it could be no different from this church. There's people here, but it's, it's really just nothing but a Christian cemetery. There's bodies here. But where's the joy? Where's the life? Where's the enthusiasm? Where's the love of God? Where's the praise and worship? Where is it? And, and we too, can we say the same thing about him? I've become somebody I never thought I would ever become. But fortunately, Christ came his way. And I'll tell you this more before we go home, that we should make it our point and our object to deal with unforgiveness. Don't get us so far away from you that you're guessing and you're shooting arrows and you're hitting people and missing the mark. We need to get the will of God and the word of God so close to us that we get this thing right and we get it in order. And that everything that God has for us that pertains to life and godliness will be inherited and we'll never fall into that Esau syndrome again. That we lost the blessings of the first right. So, here's the scripture and we're going to go home. This is Matthew 18. This is in the Message Bible and it's 14 verses. So, let's click them along if you would, please. Because we got... So, at this point, Peter got up the nerve... And asked, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? And Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. That's 490. It's an infinite number, of course. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square off his accounts with his servants. And he got underway. One servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. Now, back then, they'd make $1 a day, maybe. He couldn't pay, so the king ordered for the man to and along with his wife and children, it is good to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretched threw himself at the king's feet and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. So that servant was no sooner was out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He could pay that in 10 days. And this guy seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. And the poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it back. Same words. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested, put in jail under the debt until the debt was paid. And when the other servants saw this going on, that they were outraged and brought a, a detailed report to the king. And the king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt. And when you begged me for mercy, Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? And the king was furious and he put the screws to the man until he paid them back the entire debt. And that's exactly what my father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asked for mercy. Now, let me explain something to you. Please read Matthew 18, 34 in the King James. And the Lord was wroth, and he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay back all that was due unto the king. Masonados is a word for jailers or guards. 
It's a common word that is used in the New Testament. Basananos is a word for a jailer or a guard. But this word tormentor, basanidas, is only used one time in the entire Bible. One time. It's fascinating. It sounds like the same, and it kind of is, because it refers to a guard or a jailer with brutal force. Jesus inserts this word one time to prove a point. And here's the point. You cannot make money in jail back then. Today, I don't know, I haven't been put in jail lately, but back then when they threw you in jail, you didn't make roses and crochet doilies. And back then, you could not make money in jail. So how is it that he said that, that he turned him over to the tormentors until the debt was paid? If you can't make money in jail, then how can you pay the money? And here's the word. Bosonatus is a word for it's a jailer or the guard. Instead of you going to where he works, he comes home to where you work. A, a rabbi is, is a young boy that would go set into a school, into a synagogue, and a rabbi would teach him the ways of God. But a rabboni is that same guy that would go home with the boy. That's why Mary called him rabboni. That the rabbi went home with you. Bosonidas is a word that is the same jailer and it's the same guard that's about to inflict great pain and affliction in your life, but you cannot make money in the jailhouse. So here's the deal, dealing with unforgiveness. He'll let you go home. He'll let you go to work. He'll let you get a paycheck. He'll let you come to church. He'll let you sow fields. He'll let you plant vineyards. He'll let you have bass boats, motorcycles, golf clubs, and all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, because you're still operating in unforgiveness, those tormentors at the end of the day will take everything at the end of the day from you. And even though that you're busy all day, but at the end of the day, you're broke. Now I'm about to get serious with you. Dealing with unforgiveness is no joke. And don't take the advice of someone and say, you'll get over it because they just lied to you. You can't get over it on your own. It's a spiritual matter. But when someone that has hurt me, not you, but someone that has hurt me and they said horrible things about my family and they accused me of stuff that it just make your hair curl. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny now. But if I hold unforgiveness against them, if I still hold unforgiveness against them and they have actually repented, once again, don't get lost in the, well, what if they hadn't repented? Don't, don't jump the gun on me here. 
but they have actually come and said, we are sorry, would you forgive me from my heart? And I don't, watch this, I'll still come to church. I'll still go to work. I'll still plant vineyards. I'll still do all these things. I'll witness, I'll hand out Bible tracts. I'll do all these things. I'll sing songs in the choir. I'll do things for men of mercy. We'll knock on doors. We'll do all these things. I'll give in my giving. We'll do all these things. But at the end of every day, the tormentors are doing this, hand it over. And of all the Bible information that you know, and all the vocals that you can sing, and all the guitar licks that you can play, buddy. But if you still have unforgiveness in your heart, those tormentors, they go home with you. And at the end of each day, here it is. I wake up broke. Wow. That's why some people you know look the way they do. I'm not telling you they don't love God and they don't have a concept of Christ. I'm just telling you they're bankrupt every day is because they've never dealt with this unforgiveness. And Jesus said, if someone comes to you and asks for mercy, truly ask for mercy, you have a responsibility to give it. You've got to swallow your pride. You've got to swallow the big eye. You've got to get this stuff out and say, you know what, Lord, you, you have forgiven me of so much. I don't know about you because I'm the only pink elephant in the room, but I will tell you, at one time I was a really a hoot. But he forgave me of so much. And I'm just wondering, have I allowed unforgiveness to rob me of everything that, that God has promised me? So here's the end of this sermon. If you want your joy to be restored, remember what David said, please take not that anointing from me. Please don't remove your presence from my life. I, I know I'm your son, but... And he had to deal with unforgiveness. Because in unforgiveness, there's three realms. Number one, you have to accept God's forgiveness. Number two, you have to accept when someone hurts you. You have to accept their repentance. And number three, you've got to learn to forgive yourself. So I refuse, I guess, through the years of, of doing everything I do here, whatever I do, and the end of the day be broke. I'm not going to do it. I want the joy of the Lord to remain in me. I want the strength of the Lord to be in me. I want gladness and, and thanksgiving to be in my heart. I want to enter this place with thanksgiving. I want the praises of my, my voice to be heard from God. I want to lift my voice in the sanctuary. And I refuse, like I told you last Sunday, holding you in bitterness, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. 
you're not worth me missing out on the life of God. I like you, but you ain't worth it. You ain't worth me having a relationship with God. So this morning, we've learned a couple things. The closer that I am to the will of God and the word of God, I won't sin. But the further you get away from the will of God and the word of God, you're more likely to sin. And those errors will hit everybody else around you. And I'm sorry if I shot you through the years. Sorry about that. This morning, Father, we just thank you for the body of Christ and thank you for your son, Jesus. And Boy, you gave us a billboard in Luke 17 and 1. Offenses and traps will come. And you said the biggest trap that we'll ever face and be snared by is unforgiveness. You warned us. We were too busy doing something else. We were too busy not paying attention. You warned us that things will be said and done and it'll hurt and it'll incarcerate us. But there's only one way out of it. There's only one way out of this trap of unforgiveness. And, and this is the way is that we ask you to increase our faith. We need you more than we've ever had before to help us in this area. It may not change anything in the past, but it'll certainly change our future. And I refuse to allow something that happened to me in the past to cripple or hinder me for what you have awaiting me in the future. I want the joy of the Lord to continue to be in my life. I want the, the strength of the Lord, the happiness of the Lord, the confidence of the Lord. And people that have hurt us along the way, they're not worth it. We just dust the shoes of our feet and we go on. And we let you handle it. So Father, this morning with, a, with an honest heart, we, we love you. We want to pursue you. We want to hit your will dead center every time. And the way that we do that is we stay near to your word and your will that we may not sin against you. And I pray for people in the next few weeks that have been hurt and injured severely. People that have been wounded, something has happened in their life that absolutely would cause bloodshed and, and abandonment, these things. I pray in the next few weeks through your word, you'll give us some comfort and consolation that we'll follow your way in Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, amen. If you're still with me and love me this morning, stand and give the Lord a praise offering. Would you do that, huh? God is good. Turn about three people and hug them and say, listen, I love you. I, if I shot you before, I'm sorry about that. I wasn't thinking. Communion servers, please come if you would. We celebrate Holy Communion every week. It's just your opportunity to come and just remember Christ. Just remember Christ. I think the problem we have sometimes is that we're trying to medicate a spiritual problem with the natural means. And that's about like putting a Ford water pump on a Chrysler pickup. It won't go. So what do I do with stuff? 
I pray. And I give it to God. And someone will say, well, what else? If that don't work, it'll work. Just keep praying. How long should I pray until my husband straightens out? Just keep praying. What if he doesn't straighten out? Just keep praying. Because this is about your relationship between you and God and not you and someone else. So he took the cup and, he, and the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Your fathers did eat of the bread in the wilderness and they hungered again, but I'm the bread of life that comes down from God. And if any man eats of me, he'll never hunger again. And he took the cup and he said, this cup was the third cup of redemption. And he said, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my Father now will take my blood and place in the shape of a cross. And if any man eat of this bread and drink of this cup, he'll have everlasting life. Do this and remember me. This morning, all we're asking you to do is move a little closer to the target. Here's a news flash. God doesn't move away from you. You move away from Him. He has said, I'm the Lord God, I change not. God's not hiding. He's not running from you. I think it's time that we just stop in our tracks this morning as Christians, men and women, and begin to make our way closer to the will of God and the Word of God that we may not sin against Him. So let's make our way back this morning. Father, bless this cup, bless this bread, and all that partake it, let them find life and health in Jesus' name. Amen.